Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning into Called and Caffeinated. If this is your first or your 48th time, welcome. I'm thrilled that you are listening to my amazing interview with Sister Dee Dee Byrne today. This is an incredible woman who I first encountered speaking at the Republican National Convention. She spoke boldly about the pro-life issues in our country, and she literally pulled out her rosary and said that this is our weapon of love. So we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. Sister Dee Dee has so much to offer that I was excited to talk to her just about her life, like so much that she's done. She was an army physician before she became a nun with the Little Workers of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. And now she serves the poor. Um, We talked about how she actually lovingly admonishes some of her patients who are living in sinful habits, how to walk that line of loving loving the sinner, hating the sin, and admonishing. It's she's I've never heard anyone explain it so well. Also, we talked about her speech at the Republican National Convention. We also talked about her experience giving medical care to Mother Teresa in the 90s and also her experience working in the immediate aftermath of the September 11th attacks in Manhattan. She was there and she was in the, you know, in the soot and just helping people out. So amazing interview. I'm so excited to share it with you. But first, I just wanted to give a shout out to my friend Ryan, who I've actually never met, but he's a regular listener of mine. And his sister, Regina, reached out and told me that I'm his go-to. Calling Caffeinated is his go-to show when he's mowing his lawn. So I just wanted to say thank you so much, Ryan, for listening. I am so thrilled that you have tuned in so many times. I also wanted to take this opportunity to invite you to join the Called and Caffeinated Patreon community. We have a ton of fun. We have monthly video chats as a community, which I started not knowing that this crazy coronavirus pandemic was going to hit our world. And now I'm more grateful than ever that we have these monthly video chats where we get to hang out and grow closer to Christ and closer as our little community. You get access to my secondary podcast called Coffee Sips, which I release once every two weeks, and that is Catholic Faith and Lifestyle. It's all there. You can go to patreon.com slash called and caffeinated. In case you've never heard of Patreon before, it's a way for artists to create sustainable income. And so When you pledge, starting at just $5 a month, you're helping to sustain this unique content. You're helping me to pay my sound editor, as well as make a little bit of change to put in my pocket and feed my family. Um, And so I invite you to check it out and come on over, see about all the perks that we got going on for you. I wanted to thank my wonderful Debbie and Mary Claire. Y'all are my caffeinated champions, which means that they have pledged at the level of caffeinated champions. And I wanted to thank them so much for being a part of the community. Woohoo, ladies, you are amazing. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a review, it would be so helpful in attracting new listeners to the show. If you like this content, it would be so helpful in just helping get the word out there. It's the first thing people see when they find the show on Apple Podcasts is the number of ratings and reviews. So please come on over and tell us what you think. I read all the reviews and I am just so blessed and so thrilled to to hear back from you guys. 
So with all that being said, let's get to my interview with Sister Didi Byrne. Sister Didi, thank you so much for being my guest on Called and Caffeinated. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I know you're not drinking coffee right now, but you told me earlier that you had three cups. (laughs) This morning. (laughs) Is that your usual? More or less, yeah. But then Mm -hmm. I switched to tea. Okay, that's good. I know I love... (laughs) I just need to have a hot drink in my hand. There's something so comforting about it. I love it. I'm so glad the weather's turning to fall. I love it. Yeah, it's so good. Best time of the year, especially in Virginia. Yes, which is, so you're in D.C., I'm in Virginia. We're very close to each other, um, which is really cool. We're totally going to meet up in person. We're going to make this happen. But I'm a born Virginian. I mean, I'm a, I mean, I was raised in Virginia, so that's my home of record. Mm, yes, yes. So, Sister Didi, what calls have you received from God in your life so far, and what has receiving those calls looked and felt like? Uh, well, I mean, I think that, I mean, from the very beginning in my earlier life, are you asking those calls? You can or... take whatever direction you want. It's the, oh. it's, yep, it's the okay. first question I ask all of my guests. So whatever you okay. want to share about yourself. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. just, just in the beginning, you know, I guess or it's sort of a vocation answer, but I was, um, I felt called in, in my earlier life as a little girl to um, serve the poor. I mm-hmm. was always drawn to those images of, of missionaries. So I felt called. I always wanted to be a missionary. I always thought I was called to be a missionary in one way or the other. I wasn't sure exactly how. So, And then it was, it was um, reaffirmed in my high school years. I learned about Mother Teresa during those days. And then, you know, on through my life as I went on to get training and medicine and and then being able to actually put my missionary boots on and go out and serve and to serve Christ I mean the ultimate call is to be all for Jesus to you know he is um we're called as a friend a new friend of mine Joe uh, Felix who reached out during this whole episode of the RNC said our mission is to love Christ it's the first commandment and then everything goes from there. Yes. It doesn't matter what we do. Yes. I was just thinking this morning of that very often quoted um, sentence that St. Therese said, my vocation is love. Mm-hmm. And God is love. And that is, I was just thinking about all the, di- it's so simple and it's so brilliant and it gets overlooked because you're like, well, of course we're supposed to love. But if your vocation is to love that that's your whole, that's your whole purpose in this life is just to love God and to be Christ to others because God is love. Right. That's why, that's why, um, you know, uh, some people, when I was, had brought the rosary out, uh, they, they said, you shouldn't call the rosary a weapon. Uh, yesterday I was reading about, um, Bishop Strickland who said the rosary is a weapon of love. Mm. So, we are to use this weapon of love to fight hate, you know, and uh, what is, mm-hmm. what is happening, but there's so much, we're being hit so much with people who don't agree with us. So they reach, they send their message out with a lot of hatred and our response is love, love, love. And mm-hmm. that is the most powerful tool through uh, the praying the rosary or blessed mother is the one that's, charging us on for that so i love how you pulled out your rosary at your speech at the republican national convention i was so impressed and inspired and i thought it would be so nice to talk to you about 
spiritual warfare and about courage because to me you pulling out the rosary and saying your bold words was the embodiment of that of being willing to speak on national television to the you know the whole country about this so there's so much i'm excited to talk to you about but i'd love to hear first just a little about your experience in the army so you have served um in many war-torn countries you were a surgeon um, so what did that teach you about spiritual warfare? You are a surgeon, excuse me, still currently. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. What did that teach you about spiritual warfare? Well, I think um, that so many places where I work, they don't really know Christ. It's mainly a Muslim country, you know, in mm -hmm. Iraq. Um, I went there mostly as a missionary, um, Afghanistan military, uh, that someone, we weren't allowed to wear a uniform. and I mean, we weren't allowed to wear a habit. And so... Uh, but someone asked me something was different. I said, well, I'm a religious sister. They didn't know what that was. I tried to say, well, you know, Mother Teresa. Oh, no, no, I don't. I've never heard of her. So there was a, so one of the things the devil um, is really good at is trying to not educate and teach and, you know, expose. And so people don't know. So one of the spiritual warfares is lack of understanding. And so, and then I worked in the Nuba Mountains of Sudan, where the village people were very peaceful there. Some were Muslim, some were Christian, even in their own family, but they got along very well. So religion wasn't a, an issue of contention for them. It was just their way of life. Uh, I work a lot in the Palestinian territories, um, mm -hmm. and the people there, they're beautiful. They, they are... Um, uh, wanting just to get the needs, their healthcare needs taken care of. And so uh, I guess learning about what the, what the warfare, the spiritual warfare in war-torn countries is that, uh, that war is, is the, the worst answer to resolving issues. But of course we know that during Nazi Germany, we had to go do something because the devil there was out of control. We had to force it. You know, sometimes there's a just war. Uh, where I was, I served with the military. They're the best folks in town. Um, we, we are peacekeepers. The military were peacekeepers. And I was on the healing side of, of I always say the healing side of a war. I wasn't, um, you know, forced to have to go out and, fight anybody i was just there to support whoever came in we got to take care of of our soldiers and as i say saints and sinners so i got to take care of um the taliban you know when they got exploded and and um trying to give them the love of christ because i i think that's part of the problem they did not they have not been taught and exposed so lack of education lack of of teaching is what the devil wants you not to know and then uh, then they can continue on with their hatred and rhetoric. Mm. And we might be their only living gospel. And so many of the Afghani docs that we worked with who were really good folks used to always say, boy, you Americans, there's something special about you. Because mo the majority of our Americans were soldiers in the hospital were Christians or religious Jews. Um, so... They could sense something was there. There was some. There's something yeah. within us. It's yeah. that Christ within us that we were able to bring, even though we weren't really allowed. They were. We were told not to speak about faith, although yeah. they opened the door with me so I could do it. But um, you know, educating. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. And I noticed that in our country, there's such a war on speech right now and such a, you and I spoke a little bit off air about just controlling the narrative. And Mm -hmm. that certainly, that makes me think actually of a story I wanted to share with you from my own life where I quoted you in a recent Instagram post about three weeks ago. And um, so I'm 16 weeks pregnant right now with my third child. Yes, we're very excited. And when you look, you know, I just Googled facts about my unborn baby. You know, just you can see on mom blogs, you can see all over the Internet. If you look up week 14 fetal development, you can see what's there. And so really the baby's fully formed and Mm -hmm. the world that there. So what I posted, okay, I'll just tell you what happened. So what I posted was medical facts about my 14-week-old baby, the fact that really all of the organs are in place, the bones are in place, the brain, everything is really coming together. Mm-hmm. Really what the baby needs is time and nourishment. And then I said in the post that uh, I teared up watching your very moving, beautiful speech at the Republican convention about how life begins at conception, how you're not just pro-life, you're pro-eternal life. And I mean, it was really just, it was a direct quote from you. And that post got almost immediately banned by Instagram. So there's this thing that they can do called a shadow ban, where if someone reports it as hate speech and Instagram accepts it, they'll basically make your uh, your profile, they'll make your account invisible to anyone who doesn't already follow you. And they'll also show it to fewer of your followers. So it's a very subtle way of deplatforming someone, a very subtle way of silencing someone. And if you read Instagram's community guidelines, they only do that apparently for hate speech or something that's directly targeting, shaming someone, you know, slander, that kind of thing. And uh, and so this was just such a far cry from that. The picture that I posted along with this caption was a picture of my three-year-old son kissing his little sibling in my belly. And, you know, just the sweetest photo. And so, you know, for this to happen, and then I noticed that the next two posts after that reached zero people through hashtags. So hashtags is usually how your account gets seen. Mm-hmm. So I knew something was up. I knew that something was up. And what was actually kind of amazing is that... Uh, once I started talking about it to my followers, they started organically sharing the post. So it actually gave me a, probably a greater following than it would have. <laughs> it probably increased my numbers more, much more than it would have had it just been shared organically through the hashtags. You know, but I've been, I've been thinking a lot about this. And uh, I think what was so amazing was, first of all, the realization that Instagram would control the narrative on something like this, where we, we want to trust the big tech platforms. But for someone to report that as hate speech and then for it to get accepted as hate speech was really, it was my first encounter with something like that. But I can't mm-hmm. tell you the number of people who have reached out and said, my account got banned from a pro-life post as well. So pro-life seems to be the thing that gets people, one of the things I'm sure that gets a lot of people banned and silenced, you know. Um, so there was that first of all. And second of all, I thought it was incredible how I felt like I was entering a little bit into a battle. You know, there was just my popularity was suffering a little bit, not, this isn't anything crazy dramatic or anything, but I think instantly I was given so much grace because I thought if I'm going to suffer a little bit for the sake of my unborn child and speaking up for other babies, I'm so honored. I was, I was really, God was so good. And, um, as we're talking about spiritual warfare, I think I first, you know, I really had the sense that this is a, this is, uh, you're going to be given the grace as you move your feet. If you, if you do speak up and you are 
persecuted for whatever reason, you are going to be given the grace as you, as you move forward. And I just experienced that so strongly, like not a moment of regret. Blessed are you persecuted for my sake, Jesus said. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's kind of an exciting feeling when you realize the persecution is happening and, but it's not because I'm, you know, I'm doing it because I'm, I want to be uh, a soldier for Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. as my sister, my younger sister, because uh, after the speech, um, a couple of weeks after I was over at my mom's, who's 97. <laughs> and mm. uh, I said, by my head, it was like one big empty shell. And she said, and I said, you should see all the people attacking. I just said, I'm shocked. And she, my sister said, you know, in the Second World War, the pilots used to say, if the bullets weren't coming towards you, you were going the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So you're going the right way. Yes. But that is really um, unbelievable. I mean, I know uh, you're not the first I've heard that has happened. This has happened to, Mm -hmm. and they've even actually gone to the Congress to complain about this at at that level. Mm -hmm. And well, look what happened to Nick Sandman. Oh my gosh, that poor young man. You know, yeah. I mean, so, Mm -hmm. so I mean, there is, as you said, there's a battle out there, and the misrepresentation, the misinformation to skew a ideology that is um, not of God mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. really um, uh, worrisome. Yes. And, and isn't and it for them to try to, to mute you and silence you mm-hmm. because you want to talk. Well, I wanted to share something if you don't mind. And mm-hmm. um, I won't, it's not long, but it was written. This is what made all the bullets flying toward me. So worth it. Mm-hmm. It was a letter from a woman who was thanking me for speaking. And she said that at 18, she had an abortion and uh, her first child, and that that action to every day fills her with guilt as heavy as lead. It was her ultimate crime. It's my darkest sin. Mm. I am now 30. God in his mercy and grace blessed my husband and I with a beautiful son. Had I not conflated abortion with freedom, I would not have worked against God in such a cruel and evil way. I pray your message has found its way into the lives and hearts of women who find themselves in the position I was in. I pray that the Holy Spirit move them towards life, not towards death. Mm, that's so beautiful. So she had wow. had that experience, she had an abortion. Every day she thinks about it. Now God has blessed her with, with a child who's gorgeous. Mm. And, um, and she just prays. She's basically out there saying, Nobody else make the mistake I made. So instead of trying to suppress your speech, try to stop you from saying things that might actually alert a young woman to making a mistake and mm-hmm. taking away the life within her, um, mm-hmm. they want to suppress it so that they can uh, move this agenda forward, which is um, right. basically murder. Right. In the most it's supposed to be the most protected area. Mm-hmm. of society is your mother's womb and that's uh now become a slaughtering ground yes yes so i love everything you said thank you for sharing that that is really beautiful and if there you know really why should we ever be afraid of pursuing truth because if the truth is that this isn't a person we shouldn't be afraid of knowing that if the truth mm-hmm. is that this is a person mm-hmm. we should know that so that we can defend that life right yeah right yeah yeah absolutely i love that um so I also read, I was reading about you and I, uh, that sounds creepy, but I was reading an article that the, the National Catholic Register did and it shared how you 
will boldly speak to some of your patients if they have mm-hmm. some habits uh, like using contraception or cohabitating with a boyfriend or girlfriend before you give them surgery you'll go ahead and you'll just ask them to reconsider those habits just in case something goes wrong in the surgery there's a small chance that they could be meeting god soon i thought that was so impressive and so bold so i'd love to know what are your so uh, so many of us are so afraid to speak up how do you speak that you know, that with that boldness, with that courage, and also speak in love. I'd just love to hear yeah. your thoughts well, on Well, you know, it's it's not that brave and bold in one way, because um, I wear um, my billboard of who I am and what I do, okay? Mm-hmm. So really, shame on me if I don't um, guide our patients in the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Most of my patients are from Central America or South America, so I tell them, um, that I'm not only the, the doctor of their body, but their alma, their soul. Mm. So, and I said, shame on me, shame on me if I don't tell them what's really important in their spiritual life. Because our community, the little workers of the Sacred Hearts, we're catechists. We, we teach the faith. So if someone comes in and they're telling me, oh, yeah, I've got the IUD in and I'm, living with my boyfriend, we have three kids. I go, oh, how beautiful, that's nice. So this is how your gallbladder surgery will go. And if I just totally ignore that whole part of them, mm-hmm. then, um, boy, am I in trouble. Right. It's not that, not them, because they go, oh, I just saw the Irmana, and she knows that I'm using the uh, the IUD, intrauterine device, and I'm we've got three beautiful kids not married, and she seemed to not think of anything of it. So mm-hmm. we should be okay. But I always, so what I, so I go, okay, hold on. And, and I, most of them are, I mean, I try to do it with, I say, you know, you know, I, I, I'll pull my rosary out as a joke. I go, I'm, you know, I'm going to whip you with this. <laughs> and first I find out, first I find out, are you Catholic? You know, I'll start like with that entrance. Or are you Christian? Are you Christian? Or goes, no. Oh, if you're Catholic, I said, uh oh, you're in trouble. I said, because you're going to a Catholic charity clinic and your doctor is an Hermana. So this is what mm. happens. Mm. You get the little lecture, the Hermana lecture. And mm. they, and I said, you know, you can't, and I go through the whole thing, you know, are you going to mass? I'm finding out first, are they going to mass? Are they going to communion? A lot of them, uh, it's wonderful. At least they are not receiving Jesus. You know, if wow. they are cohabitating, most mm-hmm. of them, they understand that they're not a hundred percent copacetic with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, you're really, um, avoid, you're not, you're missing out on the best part. It's like mm-hmm. coming to a banquet, not having any food. I said, it's, you know, it, it, and many of them want to have a big celebration or whatever. And that's why they're not married. I try to find out why they're not married. Cause I said, you know, I can find a priest and get married. We have a chapel upstairs. We can do it right now. And they go, Oh no, no, no. Later, later, later. Um, but, or some of them, they go, yes. Uh, I, so I try to just try to help mm. them understand that, one, it's not, it's not, they're living in the state of sin. I said, we're all sinners. I said, I am the biggest sinner. So I'm not talking to you as if I'm, you know, perfect. We are all in this journey together. As I said, I will, not only am I pro-life, but I'm pro-eternal life. I want us all to be together, everybody. But it's not you know, it's not an open borders, let everyone in. We have sanctuary cities. It's not, it's a, it's a journey and it's, it's a lot of work to, to holiness. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, uh, they, so marriage is a sacrament. 
And those kids need a dad and a mom. So I, I go through all this and, um, and they, they're really open because I think I might be one of the first to talk to them about this. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and so, so basically to help them understand that it's really important for their family life and their spiritual life and their married life to be able to have, cause God needs to be in the center. When I explain how an intrauterine device works, which is a, basically creating a harsh environment in the uterus, which could create a, an abort, an abortion with each conception, um, they freak out and they want it out right away. Mm. And Again, so it's I, that education, just letting right. them know this is what's happening. This is the fact. Exactly. So, yeah. but I said, well, what we need to do first is, you know, if you're not prepared to have children, you can't, we have natural family planning. So I get them mm-hmm. set up with um, the natural family, like the Tepeyac Clinic over in, um, in Maryland. Um, so mm-hmm. we guide them. We, get, we don't just sit there and go you know, pull the thing out. And No, we get them so that they're, they're continuing on in being able to feel ready or not ready to, to conceive, but that they have to have the doors open always. Yeah. I explained to them that, you know, in the United States, 55% of marriages fail or couples break up because they, uh, because, because of many reasons, but that the families that are um, putting God in the center that had not, you know, had sex before marriage, uh, it's a little bit late for some of them, but, um, or, but also, practicing natural family planning the divorce rate is less than two percent and he said if i'm entering in a marriage i want my i want my marriage to last Mm -hmm. i want to do what i can to make to make it the best and last the longest and to be the most beautiful so we go through this really kind of rapid fire you know natural family planning um um the theology of the body a bit you know so so it's all kind of done Wow. Yeah, and uh, and the team I have at the clinic are ultimo numero uno Spanish speaking Catholics. They're very. Wow. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I love that you don't lose the person. You throw some humor in there. You're mm-hmm. asking the questions about themselves, and then you're also providing accompaniment for them, not just mm. giving them a lecture with a Bible. Sure, which yeah. is uh, so and I, I even d- remove their gallbladder. <laughs> <for tea>. <laughs> <laughs> Bonus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you have them also in a, it's a place where they're probably really in need, uh, you know, sometimes we need to be led to a place where we are more, you know, we're faced with our own mortality or we're faced mm-hmm. with this health issue in order to really have a turning point. And, um, you know, and, and so what a beautiful opportunity to, to really mm-hmm. instruct in a loving and, you know, a loving way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, I'd love to hear just a little bit. So you have so many things that I wanted to talk to you about today, and I don't know if we'll get to all of them, but there were a couple experiences that I wanted to ask you to share what you've learned from them. Uh, one was serving at Ground Zero right after September 11th, mm-hmm. and the other one was delivering medical care to Mother Teresa back in whenever mm-hmm. that was, the 90s, I assume? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. 97 when she came into town. I um. Well, just sort of just to the speech at the RNC also can be a part of that little thing. It's sort of like I tell young people, if you want to do, you want to serve Christ, put your seatbelt on and be ready for a wild ride. So (laughs) (laughs) uh, that was in uh, 
in in Manhattan with one of the other sisters who was getting an echocardiogram. One of Sister Pietra, who was a friend, and uh, from she would have been a superior in Baltimore when I was there. And um, we watched on TV one of the towers fall by noontime, and the whole city was going crazy. Mm-hmm. When I get into things, I don't really think about the. I don't like if people say, "Oh, you're so brave." This I don't think about that. I just kind of go with the flow. And so we were at a. I, I was at the Bronx, uh, the in Harlem at noontime. Uh, after the city was going crazy and both towers had fallen and Pentagon, everything was, the world had gone crazy. And uh, we went to the convent in Harlem and the sister said, they're looking for surgeons. And I made my way down to the, the, actually the police drove me down to um, St. Luke's hospital on 50th. We were there till about five in the OR waiting room. Um, And uh, nothing had happened. So sister Priscilla patched me. I told him where I was. And she said, I want you to go down to ground zero, or she didn't call it that. I want you to go down as far as you can to bring food and water to the firefighters, you know, because missionaries are chair to do that. And so between my my license and uh, and the sister's habit, that won't, that was a very unusual period of time where the the gates were opening up. So everything was bombarded. The sky was blackened from all the soot. No one was, it was empty. But we were driving down until about 10th Street. And the cop said, uh, it's too dangerous to drive any further. So we trooped down in um, foot deep of soot and, you know, just billowing. We made it all, <laughs> we were, I was like cuckoo heads. We made it all the way down to ground zero. That's a long all, walk. Yeah, but you know we're like you know it was sort of like walking in a, on the on moon. We were on the moon. Yeah, yeah. And we went wow. down there, and we just the three of us were down there, and we found that across the street they had to create a first aid station. Not much. There was like a young couple from Parish or something that had made their way down, and the police, and we had holy medals. We had water and hoagies, and we were just going to each of the firefighters, bringing them food and everything, and. Wow. One one Jewish uh, police officer said, "Please, sister, there's a um, to one of the sisters. There was a woman who was pregnant who was who had died, and she said, uh, you know, could you please pray with her? And which was really nice because everyone was sort mm-hmm. of in a shock. And we gave her a holy medal. You know, Mother Teresa was famous for the miraculous medal." And she said, "Oh, this is a, a beautiful trinket." I said, "No, this is a beautiful Jewish mother like you are." And she looked at it and just kind of held it and then went on with her, what she had to do. Wow. So I would just say it was surreal, but uh, I, I just, I never underestimate what God, where he kind of throws me, what he wants me to do, when, where, and how. And I just, mm. you know, we just, I tell people that I, I, I'm in the position where I'm not married. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a religious sister. So I don't really worry about what's going to happen to me or that I just, you just sort of go with the flow, whatever God wants you to do, you go where you have to go. Mm. And then regarding mother Teresa, she was um, my high school hero in a sense. She, when she said uh, she did free loving care for the poor, I wanted to do the same. And I had uh, thought about entering the mission of charity um, because of the missionary work in their prayer life. But a father, John Harden, priest, very holy Jesuit priest. Yes. Said, mm-hmm. 
I met with him while Mother Teresa was in town because Sister Pietra at the time, who was the sister that was at Superior, when the one I was also with in New York, she she asked Father to speak with me, and I said, Father, I you know I'm a general surgeon, I'm boarded in family medicine and general surgery, and I said, but I. I just, this was a gift from God. I'm going to give it back and just become a missionary of charity. And he said, no, you're not. You're going to, we need too many Catholic, we need Catholic doctors and you won't really practice your medicine. The, the missionary of charity are good community, but it's not for you. Mm. And I'm really good at, you know, you know, I like it when people actually tell me what, where to go, what to do. <laughs> Rather than trying to figure out what God wants me. So I said, Isn't okay. that nice? <laughs> what? Isn't that nice? Say? I yeah, said, isn't it nice when someone actually tells you? Yeah, That's a well, whole said, theme on this podcast is what does God want? How do I know? Why doesn't yeah, he just well, tell me? Exactly. Well, he, in that case, he just said through Father Harden, he said, you're not going to, he made it very clear with the why. And then I met the little mm-hmm. workers of the Sacred Hearts through a, a priest who had served in Vietnam. And I was, you know, had one foot in the army door. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I fell in love with the sisters because of their Italian hospitality and uh, I didn't know that they, I thought they were just school teachers, but our community does everything. But, uh, you know, we just bring everyone between the heart of Jesus and Mary and whatever, whatever skill we have or service we have, whether it's a cook in a kitchen or teaching little children or doing mm-hmm. medical work, whatever, Beautiful. internationally. So, so that was, um, so, the, but it was wonderful because of my relationship with the MCs and specifically with Sister Priscilla, the one that we went up to. Um, ground zero I went up to New York with mm-hmm. now it's 97 I'm already toward the tail end of my surgical training and she she at that time I was still discerning MCs and she wanted me Mother Teresa to meet me specifically so she kind of orchestrated that that's how I got to be with her almost all the time for that week in D.C. Uh, I slept in the room next to her and she was in her late 80s and you know, as my brother, who's a priest in the Washington Diocese, Father Bill Burns said, you know, if something ever happens to Mother Teresa, what are you going to do? Just pull your rosary bead out and start praying. You're not going to do chest compressions or anything. But um, so it was just more of a gift from God. God, you know, to be able to fulfill that, uh, you know, you know, need that I had to um, do what she do, do a little inkling of what she's doing but basically to learn to love love christ through the eucharist mm. did and you get to was, speak with her oh i'm sorry Go oh ahead. yeah I, st- I was with her all the time she basically mm-hmm. for that week i mean i was standing aside and let her do the business that she had but at night she had her little room and the sisters gave me a room next door i had a cot mm-hmm. and i'd go in and every night she'd give me a little blessing and mm-hmm. and um you know, in case there was something that was going to happen. So when, on the ambulance ride from the airport to the convent, I was in the ambulance holding her hand. Just like on, in the movie, she would say, whatsoever. She would repeat, whatsoever you do to the least of your brothers, you have done to me. You know, Matthew, I think 23 years. But she, she uh, so it was, I was with her. And she, she what I learned was that she was a, a woman of deep prayer. But she was just like all of us, you know, very human. And, um, and, uh, loving the sisters loved her. She, she, Mm -hmm. God had done so much through her and people were flocking to see her because of this holiness that, and I, but one of the things I thought about when I saw all these people coming to see her, I thought too bad 
we have something even far, Mother Teresa is great, but we have something better than that. We have the Eucharist. Why aren't people flocking and standing in line to go to, to you know, spend time before the Blessed Sacrament? There's something, you know, and she would be the first to have um, agreed with me, you know? That's wise. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. so true. That's beautiful. What an amazing mm-hmm. experience. You must, yeah. did you feel your heart burning? Like you wanted to be in that life too. You wanted to be serving like her. Cause you said it was a lifelong desire of yours to be a missionary. Yes. I, yeah. I think, well, what, what it really was for me was, uh, that God, you know, loves me so much. And, and when I say this, me, I want everyone to think of these words for themselves mm-hmm. that he will fulfill all our hearts, dreams, and desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yes. Um, if, but, but there's a little bit of caveat there that we have to also, uh, put him first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all, sometimes we fail. That's why we have, um, confession and we have the sac, all the sacraments that we can reach out to, but we do our best. Right. And as St. Joan of Arc said before the canon lawyers, when they were accusing her, the British canon lawyers said, um, and they are you in the state of grace? And if, if she had said yes, they would have burned her for presumption. If she said no, they would have said, aha, we knew you were a witch. But she knelt down and her answer was a prayer. Lord, if I'm in the state of grace, keep me there. Lord, if I'm not, put me there. And so that's our that's our whole journey is to be constantly be in the state of grace. So in the state of grace means, you know, reconciling when we've mm-hmm. done wrong and to put Christ in the center to love him and through that love reach out to as many, even those who have blocked us or called us, you know, Nazi supporters, which I've been called during this time Mm. and uh, you know, all sorts of crazy things that hate, hate, hate. We just have to fight with that weapon of love, the rosary. Yes. uh, As Bishop Strickland said. Wow. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious, what have the reactions been? So you've hinted a number of different, you know, things that have been thrown at you. And I'm sure your phone and email must be lighting up like crazy. I'm so grateful you're taking the time for this interview. But uh, yeah, what have the reactions been? And how are you, how are you dealing with that from a, you know, just psychological health perspective? Does it bother you? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I didn't realize this was going to happen. I just, mm-hmm. I prayed to, to just be the voice for life. And two hours later, the White House called me and then, wow. <laughs> and then, um, and then the, the things started to move. And I didn't think, I think of myself as this little nothing. I really do. And even to this point, I still do. So who, what is the big deal about a little sister speaking mm-hmm. up? in the RNC. Um, I never really was someone that watched the RNC or the DNC in my life. I already have in my head who I know. So, um, but, uh, so I didn't think it was going to think we're going to be the way it happened. Mm -hmm. Then almost immediately, the first 72 hours, our little convent was exploded with phone calls. Um, mainly, of um, uh, mainly angry calls mixed with really positive. Thank you, sister. And, and uh, they had to really do some research to find out our phone number. They called our sisters up in Connecticut, called sisters in Pennsylvania, um, in Maryland to get our number. And um, 
So the first 72 hours, angry, 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 um, mixed with good. And then, and then more and more happen as times, especially after Father Altman gave his talk about you can't be Catholic and Democrat. I think yes. then, we'll, then the devil kind of moved to the neck to him. And, yeah, all the, wow. and so I'm still to this day getting thank you letters. And actually I wasn't expecting this, but people are sending donations, but uh, wow. to our work. Cause they, I think they Google and they go, actually, this is someone who is doing uh, work for the poor and you know, yes. this and that. And they, so it brings a little, it brings beautiful attention to the work that God is doing through us. Mm-hmm. And so those are all the good responses, the good things. Um, and how are we dealing with this? We we're we're also like the Carmelites. We're a, a contemplative, active community, and and I'm blessed because in this house, little house of ours, I have two elderly sisters that are our prayer warriors. They both came mm-hmm. over from southern Italy um, after the Second World War on a naval warship, wow. and they served our Lord. They're elderly now, and they are um, the most important next to my 97 year old mom, who might be listening one day. <laughs> You know, in my life, human beings, most important human beings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have a very good prayer life that keeps me on the straight and narrow Mm. as best I can. So we we have an hour and a half in the morning of prayer. And that includes uh, we we have adoration three times a day. Uh, So exposition three times a day. So when our morning prayer, we pray rosary also three times a day. Um, uh, kind of sharpening our weapon there um, of the rosary. We have um, mass in the morning, and we're blessed in this house to have it the traditional Latin mass. Mm-hmm. So, and I was talking to a priest, and I was explaining to him because he called me up. Someone who didn't even I didn't even know, but he was calling because he was worried he had heard through the grapevine that I was being attacked. He he reached out to me. He said, I hear you're being attacked and all that. And he said, oh, Father, you know, when I explained our prayer life, he goes, oh, you're going to be fine. You'll be fine. So, again, like you, wow. when you were blocked, in one way you have to sort of think, well, this is a badge of courage. I've been mm-hmm. blocked by someone who doesn't like my words of love. So mm-hmm. you're following Christ and, you know, blessed are you. So we're being blessed. I have to thank mm-hmm. them, you know, reach out and say thank you because you just – allowed me to get a blessing from our Lord because you're persecuting me because of my love for Christ. And as, as my brother, father Bill said, it's all about the babies, Didi. It's all about the babies because, um, I told him, I said, you know, I've been asked to speak. It's my fault. I asked the Lord to be the voice, but I said, I'm not the public speaker that he is. My brother is an excellent public speaker. He's so wow. funny. He's got a gift look him up. He's great. I have, I, I read, actually, I, I read a little bio of him and he looks fascinating. I thought, wouldn't it be so cool if I had, if I could have both of you on the show, that would be really fun. But then I won't <laughs> say anything. He does all the talking. <laughs> we'll have him on his own episode. We'll have him. On his own I'm episode. just joking. He's, no, no, he's, 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 I sit there and laugh at him the whole time, but no, he's great. I want to also say that yeah. God was so gracious because uh, a friend of ours, who's one of our, what we call coworkers or aggregatas, Dorenda Sears, who's, uh, you know, grandmom, she comes twice a year to help. She She's the type of friend we all want. She cooks and she cleans. Oh, love well, those she's friends. also a professional writer, a Catholic blogger, mm-hmm. and um, professionally she does a lot of conservative phone calls for certain president that's running for election. <laughs> and uh, so who happens to be here at the time when all these calls came? 
And so all these really negative, I want to talk to Sister Dee Dee. How dare she wear a sister wearing a habit up there promoting President Trump? All that night. So she said, I'll take that call. So she took all the negative calls and she'd wow. be in the back room because I just didn't have the energy to argue with people. Of I don't, course. Yeah. You know, it's exhausting because wow. I really didn't. Only thing I said was similar to your blog, you know, um, uh, thank you for Mr. President for supporting our the, being the most pro-life. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I did say that the other. Well, we have to face it. Kamala Harris, she's she's the one that went after um, the young man who did the underground investigation for David Delighton mm-hmm. mm-hmm. doing you know Planned Parenthood aborting live children. This sounds so um, so much like the 1500s when the Aztecs would take the human life sacrifice, they would take, Mm -hmm. they would take children out still alive so that they could procure the organs to resell. How diabolical is that? And then Kamala Harris went after him like a piranha with going after a goldfish. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. going to be the vice president if they win. Right. So So that's what, Mm -hmm. so it's not Biden that worries me as much as the, it's the democratic platform, what they represent right. and who is going to be pursuing that really. One of the complaints people had for me was that I'm a one issue voter, but I, I beg to differ. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, life is the foundation. It's sort of like when you build a house, you want to build it on cement, not sand. Mm-hmm. And if you don't support the most critical issue that even the bishops have said is the number one, and that is the sanctity of life at the moment of conception, because that's when, when life begins. You have 23 chromosomes from the mother and the father, and that makes 46. At that moment, the spiritual, um, in our Catholic catechesis, um, sort of supports the scientific knowledge that, that a soul enters within this human life. And we're made in the image and likeness of God. And from there... A human life is rapidly dividing to become what we know as a as a human life, and that you saw in your 14 week child, now 16 week baby in utero, mm-hmm. and so, um, but so that's the foundation. But you have to remember now it's becoming more reality. God rest your soul, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. We have a real chance of overturning Roe v. Wade, and that's why some of the ugliness has occurred. So. This whoever is the next president is going to have a have a chance to probably bring in two more um, Supreme Court justices. Also, the little sisters of the poor have gone to the courts three times for their religious freedom. And a lot of people yes. don't understand this. They but what they can't uh, they along with uh, about fifty Catholic institutions, the, the Hobby Lobby family, the the Green family, who own Hobby Lobby, who mm-hmm. felt when the Obamacare was being mandated to buy into everything, uh, their contraception included, that the little sisters of the poor who already had health insurance for their employees, they said, no, you have to also include these things, contraception, abortion, abortion pill. And they said, but that's against our religious. We don't want to pay someone to be able to kill their babies or to contracept. That's just totally against. Mm -hmm. And so... Through the courts, finally, they won in the Supreme after the third try. And um, President mm-hmm. uh, Trump was so supportive of the Little Sisters. But 
you know, Biden has already promised he's going to get him back in the court. I mean, how Catholic right. is that? I know. Um, I know. It's not also, like, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. But because he supports the Catholic school, the, the school choice, uh, you know, the, the school initiatives. Um, he wants to, we need to protect our borders. Right. We need to prevent people from, um, he's also been very outspoken, uh, the president, about what's happened to our churches, the burning of the churches, the desecration of the statues. Mm-hmm. The, so, uh, so he has been supportive. He's really, he's through the tax cuts, the quality of people's lives have improved. Um, mm-hmm. The lowest rate of, he has cared for the poor after the birth of the child, people say, oh, you just care about the birth, you know, just care about the unborn, you don't care about. But someone who has dropped the, the, the unemployment rate so people can get jobs and do better, these were all found, these were all supportive of the solid foundation of that life issue mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. goes on to all these other things, mm-hmm. family life, um, economic life, um, education. Yeah. Yeah. Religious freedom. I feel like we could talk for 10 hours. Um, (laughs) I guess, you know, we've talked quite a bit about, about pro-life issues. I think, you know, whenever anybody talks about pro-life issues, there's kind of a, uh, I get a lot, every time I post about something pro-life online, somebody will say, well, why haven't you adopted, you know, three babies yet? Why haven't, why aren't you taking care of, you know, you don't have to do those things in order to have pro-life views. Although mm-hmm. I do believe we all should take action on our pro-life beliefs, but you are actually working in a clinic where you help women who have taken the abortion pill and then regret their decision and come mm-hmm. in and want that reversed. And you can yeah. do that as long as they come in sometimes, as long as they do that within 72 hours. Correct. So I'd love, I would love to hear that from someone who is not just pro-life, not just passionate about proclaiming it, but also is doing the work. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear, you know, what you've, what you've learned and what you've seen and what you want people to know, maybe people who are on the fence or who people who think, I, I don't want to be a single issue voter. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And, you know, what, what would you want people to know about your work? Well, first of all, first of all, that a lot of people don't realize that you can reverse the abortion pill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's done by a natural hormone called progesterone. So it will not affect the baby. It does not affect the mother. She might get a little nausea uh, with the medicine. It's not even medicine. It's a natural hormone. Um, so many women have, the women who have come to me, I always pick their brain about their experience, and they'll say, I went into Planned Parenthood pro-choice, and I've left pro, uh, pro-life because they didn't give me a choice. I was single. I was black. I didn't have a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm pregnant, and they just basically said, you need to take this because you know, this baby is not going to do well in this society the way you are. And they regret it. Or one who, the most recent one was a Spanish woman who's married with three kids, uh, a Catholic actually, and um, doesn't speak any English. Luckily we have a sister here who is from Argentina. So she, and she's a nursing student. So she's learning on the job here, but she found out that she, she, because she's a diabetic, the doctor said, Oh, you have to abort, which is ridiculous. And so, but she, and she realized as soon as she took the pill that she was wrong. So this one is going to do well. So this, as soon as we, the sooner you get started on this progesterone, the better, the higher the chance of saving your baby. Um, and, 
they take the progesterone um, every night for the first trimester. So we figure out how far along they are. We we have them come to the they, our ultrasound machine is in the convent. So they first of all they're a little shocked because they see sisters greeting them. We always have bread and we have things that we can give them. I've even given them money to pay for the medicine if they tell me that they don't really have enough money. So that we try to just give them the love of Jesus. I tell them, you know, we've all made mistakes. You made a mistake. But the most important thing is that you recognize you made a mistake. And, you know, the Lord loves you and forgives you. And now you're going to do everything, no matter what happens. If if you end up with a miscarriage, you know, at least you have done your best to save your baby's life. And I always make it very personal. It's your baby, your baby, mm. not placental tissue, not, you know, embryo. I just say it's your baby because mm-hmm. maybe not this time, maybe her girlfriend or same thing, but at least we, we um, are making it more what it really is and making it mm-hmm. hu- humanizing the child within mm-hmm. And uh, so then we have the ultrasound machine and I'm showing and they're taking pictures. The heart is beating. And then I get them quickly to an OBGYN doctor, maybe their previous one or someone in the area and, um, and go from there. So it's really not a big doctor commitment on my side. It's just a, a commitment to be able to, um, to, to accept the, the patient in the beginning, mm-hmm. get them started and, and encourage them to move forward to continue this. And so about 60% of those women who start this have succeeded and then their babies have lived. And that's wow. wonderful. Mm-hmm. It is. And uh, it's a nationwide program. So women will jump on the computer when they've decided they made a mistake and they'll say, Google something like, how do I reverse my abortion? And this APR website it's a beautiful jump onto it sometimes really beautiful it's probably like your blog i'll put it in the show notes yeah Mm -hmm. and um and then they have nurses 24 hours taking calls from california from the east coast west florida maine everywhere and they have doctors there's just a few of us here in dc but i cover dc maryland virginia wherever um, that's close enough. So we have satellites and I'm going down. This was planned before the talk. So I was planning to go down to South Carolina to talk about this program. And I'm not an expert in it per se. I'm just one of the workers, but a, a, doc, a man asked me to come. And the one who started it uh, out in California, I'm blocking with his name right now, but uh, it's on my phone. You're good. Uh, I can I can text you the name of the doctor. So sure. you can include that in, but he started this whole thing and, um, it wasn't Dr. Brachowski, was it? No, Brachowski is in Virginia. No, this yeah. was a doctor out uh-huh. in, um, in California, California. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dr. Brachowski founded the Tepeyac clinic, which is he a started the Tepeyac clinic. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah. this doctor started the abortion pill reversal program, mm-hmm. which is now national. Wow. That's beautiful. And when I was, um, when the white house had, um, honored many people, m- military folks, and, and myself, and the president had mentioned uh, my name, and then I got an interview through the Catholic, the National Catholic, you know, the EWTN thing. I mentioned this program, and people from all around, from Europe to South America, were emailing back. I didn't know you could reverse your abort. I mean, it was, this was like hot news for them, right? 
So, so which it, in a way it's exciting because you think what's done is done, but it's not. It can be reversed. Right. If you catch it, the ticket is you got to catch it right away as soon as possible within that 72 hours of taking the medicine. It will not affect the child. People need to understand that. Right. Progesterone actually can help you get pregnant. I have friends because of natural family planning, which helps you understand your body a lot better than contraception. I have friends who have not been able to conceive, but they've been able to see natural family planning doctors who will put them on a progesterone supplement Mm -hmm. that helps them get pregnant and maintain the pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So I have friends who are taking it right now to help support their their pregnancy. And that can be that can solve issues for a lot of women who are having Mm -hmm. trouble conceiving. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exactly. And also for yeah. women who have already had a pregnancy and they're threatening a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Yes. So maybe perhaps because their progesterone level is too low. You right. just, it's a natural, you know, people who are into natural things, it's a natural hormone. So yes. it's a natural okay. hormone your body is supposed to make. And some people make it less than what they need to support a pregnancy. Exactly. So this would be more, that's so fascinating. Wow. Um, uh, I had a question for you and then it just mm-hmm. went out of my head, but I know I need to let you go soon here. Um, it's just, you know, it's really, really beautiful talking to you and, and getting your perspective on things. So thank you for being mm-hmm. so courageous and thank you for sharing your story. Um, is there well, anything? Thank you. Else? Yeah. Thank you for reaching out. I'm, I actually have right here. Am I getting it? Are you yes. It? George Delgado, MD. It's called the Steno Institute. That's what he calls it now, okay. life-affirming research. But I think you also could jump into the abortion pill reversal. Okay. I will put that in the show notes, okay. org, and then the website you mentioned as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's really known. And sometimes I think if you are in that position, you know, honestly, Sister Didi, for my first pregnancy, I, I've always been pro-life. I have a husband who loves me so much, you know, and... And we had a job. It wasn't like we were, you know, out impoverished. So my circumstances were by no means as hard as so many of these people's. But Mm -hmm. when I found out I was pregnant, it was, I was terrified. And I was so, you know, I, it wasn't until I did see that ultrasound coming back to that education, that knowledge, you know, I never considered abortion, but I see so clearly how for someone who is in that position where they can't see what the next nine months or a year is going to hold for them. And Mm -hmm. then someone comes along and tells them, yeah, you can just take care of this problem. You can just, you know, what I needed at that time when I was scared um, was someone to just say, you can do this, you can do this Mm -hmm. and I'll help you. And just Mm -hmm. someone reaching out, doing what your sisters do at the, at the clinic. And what, were you afraid of just being pregnant or what were you afraid of? I was afraid. So it's very selfish. I look back and like, it's very mm-hmm. selfish, but you know, but I say, but I'll be happy to share it because I think other women out there are, are the same. Uh, well, when I say selfish, I mean, they have the, th- the same things that were important to me then are important to other people out there. Um, mm-hmm. I was just used to being, I actually con- was confronting this, uh, this long, deeply held belief that I had, uh, that I hadn't confronted that once I got married, I was going to, I was going to settle down and I was going to be a mom of nine kids. But when it was actually knocking at my door and I realized this is the first pregnancy, I realized there's all these other things I'd been looking forward to doing theater. I'd been looking forward to, mm-hmm. um, even it sounds so selfish, but like our honeymoon, we, we had booked the wine route in France the day before I found out I was pregnant. And so we took our honeymoon 
two months after we got married and I couldn't drink the wine. I couldn't, mm. I was so nauseous. I had trouble, you know, uh, just getting out of bed in the morning. And so we went to France, but it was, it was not the experience that I had thought it was going to be. And mm-hmm. I was so sick at the beginning. I didn't feel mm-hmm. well every day. You know, my whole lifestyle had to change immediately because by seven o'clock at night, there was no question of whether I was going to go out. All I wanted to do was go to bed. And so it was, it was just a lifestyle change. I mean, it was all of like the things that seemed so important to me in my twenties, like having Mm -hmm. friends, going out with my friends, Mm -hmm. even just the expectation that I could cook a nice dinner for my husband. But instead there I was, you know, lying on the sofa and we were just brand new newlyweds, you know, Uh. we got got pregnant on my wedding night. So I just (laughs) found myself facing all of these these fears about the future of just, you know, and facing even a fear of like, uh, gaining weight from the pregnancy, you know, like I, I went through an eating disorder and my, my relationship with my body took a long time to heal. And so I found myself, oops, confronting all these. Oh, sure, sure, sure. We lost sister Deirdre. I keep getting these little, um, flashes of something. Oh yeah. 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 So just just confronting that fear of of losing my figure, losing my girlish figure, <laughs> mm-hmm. gaining weight, and I, it was just a time in my life when I I was there was a lot of novelty even without the pregnancy because I had just gotten married, and yes. there was a feeling that I'm not ready. You know, I was the breadwinner for my husband and me, mm-hmm. uh, working for the nuns for the Carmelites because yeah. my hus my husband was a student, and we knew we uh-huh. were going to have to move probably either right after or right before the baby was born to a place Mm -hmm. where likely there wasn't going to be any family nearby because he had Mm -hmm. an internship. So it's just all of these unknown factors. And now I look back and I'm like, that was a season of my life. That was just a season. The fact that you have to move Mm -hmm. like it, I did it. It was, it was fine. I moved right after Mm -hmm. our baby Mm -hmm. was born and it was okay. But at the time I just couldn't see the next turn in the road. And how old is the baby now? Three. Three. Yes. Yes. And then I had another baby less than, less than a year later. And now you're pregnant with number three. And now I'm pregnant with number three. So I have a three-year-old and a two-year-old and I look, I would never change anything about them. I don't Mm -hmm. want them. I wouldn't look back and say, you know, I love you more if you had just been born a year later. There's, (laughs) you know, it, 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 in the grand scheme of life, it, it's so, it was such a short season, but at the time I was, I was scared and I was so overwhelmed. And even with a husband who loved me, it was, it was, you know, it was just a scary time. It was just novelty, lots of novelty. So I can easily see how someone would, would feel that they didn't have another way out, you know, Mm -hmm. and how beautiful to know that after you take the pill, there is, you know, a way to revert when you realize. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Because the, the the feeling of, even if you have to, you know, if you decide you're going to keep the child, you decide to let the child go up for adoption, at least you're not spending the rest of your life like this woman with this lead, daily lead, feeling of lead, and the worst mm-hmm. sin that she ever committed was to murder her own baby when she mm-hmm. came to that real So you mm-hmm. at least, you know that you're giving someone a chance to live. Right, right. Even right. if you can't feel like it's not your time, you can't keep the child, mm-hmm. which it would be very difficult, I know, for a parent, for a mother. But yes, but it's a, it's it's the second best decision if you can't afford to keep your own child. Mm-hmm. At least you're going to be able to let the child live and have a a meaningful life. Right. I mean, aren't we all given that dignity and right to have mm-hmm. a chance to live and 
Yes. Yeah. 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 It always makes me sad when someone comments on a post of mine, well, the babies are better off. They would have had to suffer and now they don't have to suffer. And I'm like, but that's not for you to say. But how do you know? Exactly. (laughs) Right. We all suffer, but no matter how much I've suffered in my life, which hasn't been a lot compared to some people, but everyone suffers. It's my life is still so worth it. And we're not the author of life to decide. Yes. Yeah. And, and again, you know, just comes back to this education and this knowledge, a big turning point for me in my just pregnancy, kind of getting over that hump of, you know, honestly, Mm -hmm. immaturity, but legitimate Mm -hmm. fear as well of all of these Mm -hmm. life paradigms that were shifting and all this novelty. Mm -hmm. You know, I had an ultrasound, Um, I was having some bleeding, and we were concerned that I was going to miscarry. So we went to the hospital, had an ultrasound, and I got to see my little baby's heartbeat. And that was just... Mm -hmm. It was like, Everything. well, there he is. Yeah, it was, mm-hmm. it was, I saw the screen and, and there mm-hmm. he was. And it was an understanding that this is a life and no matter how difficult this next year is going to be, he's worth fighting for because he's mm-hmm. my, because he's my baby. And, and, and you know, is. it, it isn't it horrible when they, they have to actually fight to say, make it a law to let people see the ultrasound because right. they know that that ultrasound could be the game changer for, mm-hmm. um, you know, keeping a child where aborting. Right. Right. And that's amazing to me. I just, yeah, it's It's like, it's like what you said at the beginning with um, the devil wants darkness. He wants a lack of education, a lack of understanding and and lies, lies, the rhetoric. Yeah. Boosting Mm -hmm. the truth lies. And uh, that's what's happening right now. We have a battle so we can, you know, just know that as a mother, we have a, a mother that we can model after and that's our blessed mother. Mm-hmm. And she's the one that brought us the rosary, that instrument, that weapon of love to fight the devil. Just the mere fact, I was talking to some young people, just the mere fact that you have that rosary in your hand, the devil gets goes crazy. I mean, just these, mm-hmm. these sacramentals that we take for granted, your cross, uh, you know, things like that. Scaffold. The the mm-hmm. placement of holy water, the sign of the cross, just invoking the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit gets the evil one to go crazy. Mm. And that's why a lot of people don't want to bring faith into the story because that allows them to make these decisions that might be, you know, easier to make if God's not in the picture. But he's totally, he's in the center of, of everything, just like our community, the heart of Jesus and Mary. Right. You know, we have to place ourselves and he's in this, he's, he and our blessed mother wrapping their arms around us to protect us and guide us and to help us make the right decisions Mm -hmm. and to be the best parents. So I have, you know, coming from a big family, are you from a big family? Yes. I'm from, I'm one of eight children. So same here. Really? What number are you? I'm five. How about you? I'm number two. Okay. I was mom. I was mom number three. Okay. Are, do you have a sister or brother that's older? Sister. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're number three. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good when moms have girls, I think first, because well, my oldest sister was like a second mother, but yes. um, mm-hmm. I have a brother who who's, has 10 kids, seven girls and three boys. Wow. And um, they're very close. You know, mm. people don't realize that when you have a big family, you've got a tribe there. Uh, that you know, people think, oh, how can he afford? He can afford it. He's an orthopedic surgeon, but 
but for people who may not have a lot of the kids don't need things they think they might but they just need a mother and a father that love them and there's some sense of security you know a home uh, a roof you know full tummy <laughs> a mm-hmm. warm bed to sleep in a mom and dad giving them you know praying at night with them and giving mm-hmm. them a kiss and telling them that you know, they have sweet dreams, dream mm-hmm. all the fun things. And uh, the next morning to pat them on the bottom and get them to school to get to study hard, to be mm-hmm. the best little soldier for Christ. And, um, and, you know, that's the joy. I mean, what a joy that you have. Yeah. And of, yeah. of raising those kids. So you only have seven more to go. <laughs> I know. I always tell my husband, we're taking it one at a time. And that's what all the fam- big the moms of big families tell me they're like, take it one baby at a time. <laughs> and, you know, and it's so, it is so special. Um, we, yeah, getting to see this new little one on ultrasound and talking to my toddlers about the new baby, mm-hmm. my, my three-year-old, he says, I'm going to be a good big brother to the new baby. And, <laughs> you know, and my little okay. two-year-old girl and she just, Zelly, she talks about the baby all the time. And she's actually, it's funny. She's figured out she goes, I say, Zelly, can you bring your bowl over to the sink, please? And she goes, I can't, Mommy. I have a baby in my tummy, so I feel sick. So she thinks she has a baby in her tummy. She's a very, she's not only is she a little mother, she's like really taken on this, <laughs> <laughs> this persona. Uh, it's adorable, though. But they really, you get, you know, I'm already getting to watch them. And they give my tummy kisses all the time and talk to the baby. Oh. And the you know, it's amazing too, is I found out, you know, the baby can hear at this point, the baby is, is the ears are working, you know, so mm-hmm. the baby can hear and start to recognize oh, yeah. voices. Oh yeah. 16 weeks old. Like we're, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. since about week 14, the baby has yeah. been able to hear, which is yes. amazing to me. Yeah. So, because they've yeah. done studies where they play classical music or something like someone mm-hmm. might play it all the time. And then when the baby is born and they play the same classical music, they, they kind of relax a little bit because they're used to hearing that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, amazing. Yeah, this is, yeah. Family life is is so beautiful and good. And yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing everything you did. I know I good. probably need to let you go. I'm sure okay. you're very busy. <laughs> well, do we close with a prayer? Yes, that'd be lovely. Okay. Thank you. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray pray for for us us. and protect us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now I think I need to go down and get some caffeine. (laughs) There you go, sister. That's right. (laughs) Never too many cups of coffee. (laughs) Or tea. Tea is acceptable. (laughs) I hope we can connect. connect, uh, Well, you know, when you get my age, you have to have tea because if you have coffee, if I have coffee too late, then I'm up all night. But I that, have to have coffee in the morning to get going, or I'm in a coma. Mm-hmm. But exactly. I, but it's maybe it's the Irish in me. But you know, by no, I can have tea. You know, in the uh, this little thing keeps popping. Uh, I can have tea till maybe three or four in the afternoon. Nice. So nice. Just keep going with the hot beverage as long as you can. I'm the same Absolutely. way. Absolutely. I love and it. Then you know, and then maybe a little beer in the evening time. So <laughs> I know after this pregnancy, woo, it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God yeah. bless you, sister. Thank you God so much. You. Yes, well, wonderful baby, chatting with you. What do you like, wine or beer? I'm a wine girl more I so than red beer. Wine, red wine. Okay, red we'll wine. Have it ready. Well, this is an Italian yes. community, so we'll I have a way for it. you. 
Oh, we'll bring the baby. We'll come hang out with you. Oh, that would be we wonderful. We have a playground in the backyard, so they can run really? around. Yeah. Perfect. My kids are already going to love it. Good. <laughs> That's so great, Thank Sister Deirdre. Thank you. you. God bless care. you, Bye-bye. too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope that you have a wonderful month of October. I know that there's so much beauty in this month, so I hope you just get a chance to go out and enjoy beautiful creation, apple picking, fall colors. I love it so much. (laughs) So uh, until we meet again, I hope that you have a great two weeks. That was kind of awkward. Meet again. You know what I mean. Until I'm in your earbuds again. And just know that I'm praying for you guys. If you have a question and you want to hear it answered on the show by one of my expert guests, please come on over to stacysummerow.com. Absolutely love hearing from you guys. So reach out with any questions and I will have it answered for you. Okay, God bless until we see you again soon. Bye-bye.